why do we exist as a local church? Why do we choose to gather here at the corner of Gloucester and Metcalf, or for those who can't make it, tune in online, when we could be doing all kinds of other things on Sunday mornings? Why do we leave the comfort of our homes and travel across the city and try to find parking to meet together in this space? I believe the reason why any of us invest our time, our talents, and our treasures into this community is because we have experienced Jesus and we want to know him better. We are a people who want to see Jesus. We want to hear him speaking to us. We want to touch the hem of his garment and encounter his healing power. We want to glorify him and praise him and thank him for who he is and for all that he has done for us. We exist as a local church to worship Jesus. According to William Temple, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It's the quickening of our conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of our mind by his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of our heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. We were created to worship the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now today, as we've discussed, is World Mission Day. We are a part of the Anglican Network in Canada, which is a diocese in the Anglican Church in North America, which is part of a global movement of Anglicans who believe that it is essential for all people to hear the gospel because faith comes through hearing the message about Jesus. The mission of the church is to spread the gospel so that more and more people would come to know and follow and worship Jesus. We could say that mission exists because worship doesn't. There will come a day when every knee will bow at the name of Jesus and every tongue will acknowledge him as Lord and Savior to the glory of God the Father. But until that day, the church will always be on mission. This morning, we're going to look at a familiar passage to most of us that brings together these two things, worship and mission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to, 16 to 20. The context is the resurrection. Mary Magdalene and another Mary, they go to the tomb where Jesus was buried. Angels appear to tell them he's not here. He's risen. Just as he said, go and tell the disciples. He is risen. He's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. The two angels go off in search of the disciples to tell them the good news, and the risen Jesus himself appears to them on the way, affirming the angels' instructions. When the disciples hear the news, they go to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they see him, Matthew tells us that they worship him. But some doubted. 
Of course, some doubted. They had seen Jesus die, and now here he is alive. They had no way of comprehending resurrection because nothing like this had ever happened before. Even though Jesus had told them that he would be raised to new life, they couldn't process what they were experiencing. Some doubted, but others worshipped. This is hugely significant because Jewish people don't worship people. They worship the living God alone. They worship Yahweh, the God who created everything that exists. It's written in the law. You shall have no other gods but me, and you shall not worship anything created. Yet Matthew tells us that the disciples worshipped Jesus. And what is even more amazing is that Jesus does not stop them. Rather, he receives their worship. This is the context of mission, worship, and doubt mixed together. We are a people in this flux between worshiping and doubting. It's all mixed up. And in the mix of this, Jesus speaks to his church about mission. He makes a great claim. He gives them a great commission. And then he promises a great comfort the great claim, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's the greatest claim that any human being has ever made. No one else in history has ever said anything like this and been taken seriously. Jesus is claiming to be the Lord and King over everything visible and invisible, over every culture and every nation, over every city and every town, over every family and every individual, over the public realm of life and the private realm of life. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, what kind of authority is Jesus talking about here? There's two kinds of authority that are talked about in the Bible. There's the kind of authority that is harsh and overpowering. It's the kind of authority where you try to control other people and manipulate them. This kind of authority happens when people use their status and their resources to impose their will on others. Jesus is very clear with his disciples not to exercise this kind of authority over anyone. The kind of authority that Jesus has been given when translated into English, it literally means from out of being. Jesus exercises his authority from out of being, from the center of existence. After he's finished preaching his Sermon on the Mount, we're told in Matthew chapter 7 verse 28 that the crowds who heard him teaching they marveled at what he said because he taught from out of being not as the scribes and the teachers of the law people were in awe of Jesus not only because what he said informed them of the way that things really are but his words brought into their experience a new quality of life that they had not experienced before. When Jesus speaks, what he says happens. And this is because his authority has been given to him by God the Father. When Jesus speaks, he's speaking forth the words of God the Father. His words reveal the will of God the Father. When his words are received by faith, the will of God the Father begins to be appropriated in our lives, which is why whenever anyone encounters Jesus, they speak about coming home. 
once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you willingly want to live underneath his reign and rule because you realize that he is the source of all life. The great claim, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The great commission, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The verb go is actually in the present continuous tense, so we translate it in your going. In your going, make disciples. This means that the main command in the Great Commission is not go, but make. In your going, make disciples of everyone, all people groups, all nations. This is the mission of the church, to make disciples of all people, not just individuals, but whole groups of people, whole nations. This is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. I will bless you, and in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus intends on blessing all the nations by making disciples of all the nations. Disciples, not just converts, not just church members, but disciples. Disciples who are then making disciples. A disciple is a student. The risen Jesus is inviting us to learn from him. Our mission is to learn from Jesus, and as we learn from Jesus, to, sh to then share what we're learning with others so that they, in turn, can share what they're learning with others. How does this learning and sharing happen? Jesus tells us, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you to do. Baptizing and teaching. We mature as disciples of Jesus, as we make disciples of Jesus through baptizing and through teaching. What does it mean to be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It means being baptized by water. Water baptism is an outward sign of an inward manifestation of grace. When we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. We have died with Christ, and we have been raised to new life with Christ. And now our life is hidden in Christ. This is what water baptism signifies. But being baptized into the name of the triune God is more than just water baptism. To baptize something means to completely submerge it. The verb baptize is in the present active participle. It implies ongoing activity. Jesus is telling us to go on being completely submerged in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not calling us to be rebaptized over and over again by water. You only need to be baptized by water once. But then we are to go on spending the rest of our lives living into the reality to which our baptism signifies. Being baptized into the name of the triune God is a call to go on dying to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves daily of who we are in Christ. We have died to sin. We have been set free from the powers of evil and death. And now we've been brought to new life in Christ, united to him. We belong to him and he lives in us by his spirit. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 7 when he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever trusts in me 
as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them. The more we trust in Jesus, the more we receive from him, and the more we will find ourselves caught up in what he is doing in the lives of the people around us. We mature as disciples of Jesus, and we help others mature as disciples of Jesus as we ourselves are immersed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we mature as disciples of Jesus and help others mature in the, in, in, as disciples of Jesus as we learn to do what Jesus taught. Matthew is very interested in all that Jesus taught. He's a tax collector. He's very organized. And he has intentionally set up his gospel around five sermons that Jesus preached. Why five? Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the new Moses. Just as Moses had been given five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, so Jesus is given five books, or he gives us five books. Book one, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five to seven. This is a how-to manual in living underneath Jesus' reign and rule. Book two, the Sermon on Mission, chapter 10. This is all about how we participate in Jesus' ongoing mission of healing and preaching and teaching. Book three, the Sermon on the Mystery of the Inbreaking Kingdom in chapter 13. Jesus gives seven parables to describe what the kingdom of God is like. Book four, the Sermon on Management, chapter 18. Jesus explains how to relate to one another in the church. And then book five, the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, chapters 24 to 25. Jesus explains to his disciples how to wait in light of the consummation of the kingdom. I believe Matthew is offering us these five books as a kind of discipleship manual. There's a lot of really great resources out there today in the market around how we're being formed spiritually and how to enter into this life that Jesus has called us into. I'd recommend a whole bunch to you after the service if you're interested, but this is the best one. Matthew's Gospel. It's, it's the ultimate discipleship manual. Here, Matthew is telling us to put into practice what Jesus is saying in these five books and then to help other people do the same thing. The great claim, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The great commission, make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the triune God and then teaching them to do everything I have commanded you to do. How is any of this possible? Verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice how Jesus does not say, I will be with you. He says, I am with you right now. He does not say, I am with you most days. He says, I am with you every day. I am with you regardless of whether you feel my presence or not. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And if you trust in me, I will lead you deeper into the life that I myself am living. I will teach you how to live. And I will use you to teach others how to live. Friends, we exist as a church to worship Jesus. He's calling us to be with him and to learn from him and to put into practice what he's saying to us. 
And our mission is to make disciples of all people. It's an impossible task for us to do on our own. But the good news is that we're not alone. The risen Jesus is with us. He has given us one another. He's given us his word. He's given us the sacraments. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to comfort and to convict and to guide us. The mission will continue until, like we read in the psalm this morning, all the nations come and worship Jesus and glorify his name. I want to end with the vision of what is happening right now in the heavenly realms. The Apostle John was given this vision of the risen Jesus seated on the throne. And this vision is the clearest picture of reality. This is the ultimate epiphany. And it is given to us to inspire us to worship. John writes, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.